Today is Easter Sunday, as I'm recording this. So I'd like to wish a happy Easter to all my Christian friends out there, and to everyone else, regardless of whether you have a faith or not. I would also like to send my best wishes for a new day, because it is a new day. We've never had this one before, so it's brand new and we've got to live through it, and I hope that it's a good one for you. It is a sad time, and it's a worrying time. So, i am decided that, seems it is Easter, I'm going to tell you, and it's kind of an Easter story, but it's kind of not as well, because it's a Viking story from the sagas, and it's about an Earl of Orkney and a battle that he fought at Easter time. It's called Sigurd and the Raven Banner. Now, Sigurd the Stout, Sigurd Digri, became the Earl of Orkney around 995. Bit of a discrepancy about what the date was, but it doesn't matter. He became the Earl of Orkney anyway, and he not only ruled Orkney and Shetland, but he had lands in Caithness as well and Sutherland. He owned part of, ruled part of the north of Scotland. Now the King of Scots wasn't happy about that, of course, because he claimed the land too, and there was always disputes between them. Now there was an earl in Caithness called Findlick, and Findlick had said that he would meet with Earl Sigurd at Skittenmire in Caithness, and they would fight a battle to decide who ruled Caithness. Well, Sigurd had to accept. But he was worried because he knew that the Caithness army was going to outnumber his own army from Orkney by a considerable odds. It was not going to go easy. So he went to see his mother, Ethne, who was a woman of noble birth from Ireland, but also had a reputation for sorcery. She was a wise woman, a woman who knew a thing or two. And he told her the position he found himself in, that Earl Finlake had called him to fight at Skittenmire, that the, the army would be greatly outnumbered, and could she do anything to help him tip the balance of power in his favour, anything that could help him? Well, she looked at him with a cold eye, and she said, had I known you'd want to live forever, I would have reared you in my wool basket, she said, to think that you can control the fate over your life. Well, he wasn't very happy at those words, but she said, Here, take this, I've made it for you with all the skill that I possess woven into it. And she gave him a banner. It was a raven banner, a red banner with a black raven on it. And the raven looked like it was in flight, and it was embroidered and stitched with magic woven into it. She said, take this with you, and it will bring victory to the army that bears it, but it will bring death to the standard bearer who holds it. So Sigurd took the banner 
and he marched off to Caithness. He sailed across the Firth, and they rode down to Skittenmire, and they met the Caithness army, which was much bigger than the ordinary one. And the two sides fought. It was a hard, bitter battle. And a standard-bearer was killed. And another one took his place, and he was killed. And another one took his place, and again he fell, before Sigurd won the victory of the day. Now it was said that the raven, of course, was synonymous with the god Odin, and that Odin demanded a sacrifice, and so the standard-bearers were his sacrifice. Now he rode back, sailed to Orkney in triumph. They had secured their position in Caithness. Now time passed. Sigurd had many more adventures, but there's no time for them all here. Now it was Yule time in the year 1013, and they were all gathered at the big drinking hall in Bursey. And they were feasting and drinking, celebrating the Yule. And Sigurd had a powerful uh, and important guest there, because King Sigtrig Silkbeard from Ireland was there too. He was a king of the Vikings in Dublin. But he was a troubled man. Now, his mother, who was called Cornlod, she was a very beautiful woman, and she had been married to the high king in Ireland, Brian Baru, but the two of them had fallen out. And so Sigtrig had gone from being the stepson of the high king of, of Ireland to being just the king of a, a ragtag band of Vikings in Dublin. And he wanted to fight Brian. He wanted to defeat him, kill him, and claim the lordship of the kingship of Ireland for himself. Well, to do this, he needed support, and that's why he was in Orkney drinking Sigurd's ale. He said to Sigurd that if he would supply an army and lead it himself, come to Ireland and fight against Brian Baru, then he would give him his mother Cromlid's hand in marriage, and also he would make him the High King of Ireland. Now this appealed to Sigurd, who was always an ambitious man, and he decided that, yes, I could, I could just see myself as a king. It's good being a jarl, but it would be better to be a king. So he agreed. Now Sigtrig was not the sort of man that you would place much faith in. You couldn't trust him that far. And he liked to hedge his bets. So he set sail to the Isle of Man, where there was two Vikings who worked together in partnership. The one, the main leader, was called Bruder. Now he had been a consecrated mass deacon, but he had abandoned Christianity and gone back to the old religion, and he had become a powerful sorcerer. 
He had a magic cloak that he could wrap himself in, which was impervious to any weapons. Now, his partner was a man called Ospak. And Ospak, although a pagan as well, he was uh, a very wise, wise man. Not that I'm saying that pagans aren't wise, but he was regarded as a very wise man, very thoughtful, and very fair. Now, he commanded ten ships, while Broder commanded twenty. King Sigtrig went to see Broder, and he made him the same promise that he had made to Jarl Sigurdigri in Orkney. He would marry his mother off to him, and he would make him the High King of Ireland in place of Brian Beru if he would bring his men to fight. Well, Broder agreed and accepted it. Now, that night, a strange thing happened. There was a terrible noise rent the air, and it started to rain, but it rained blood, boiling hot blood. The men on Broder's twenty longships, they were hit by this terrible storm. Ospak's ships weren't, but it rained red-hot, boiling hot blood on the people on Broder's ship, and they tried to cover themselves as best as they could, but many of them were badly scalded. And this went on all night until dawn, and then it stopped. And they found out that one man in every one of the twenty ships had died. Now the next night, again, the same terrible noise rent the air, but this time, all the weapons chomped up alive and started to fight among themselves. And then they turned on Broder and his crew. All the Vikings were attacked by the weapons. They tried to defend themselves as best as they could. And this went on all night until the dawn as well, and when the sun rose, all the weapons fell down to the decks of the ships again. Now, on the third night, again, a terrible noise rent the air, and monstrous ravens came flying down, huge, evil-looking beasts, and their beaks and claws were made of iron, and they attacked the men. They defended themselves as best as they could, but again, many men were badly wounded, and in the morning, when the sun rose and they disappeared, one man on every ship was dead as well, just like the two nights before. Now Broder went to see Ospak and asked him what these portents meant. Now Ospak knew that he was not going to like the answer that he would give but he also knew that Broder had many strange little superstitions, and one of them was that he would never fight at night. So Ospak delayed interpreting these terrible scenes until the sun had set. And then he said to Broder, The terrible noise that you had on the three nights is like the end of the world that is coming. And the first night, 
with the blood. That symbolized the blood that you would shed and would be shed by you and your men in the battle that is coming. The second night, the weapons fighting each other, that represents the terrible battle that you will take part in. And the third night, well, you will die in that battle. And those monstrous ravens with the iron beaks and claws were the demons that would fly down to carry your soul off to hell. Well, Broder was furious with this interpretation, and he would have killed Ospak on the spot if it wasn't for the fact that the sun had already set. So he returned to his ship, but he decided that in the morning he would attack Ospak and his ships. Well, Ospak knew that the attack was coming, and during the night he cut the ropes to all of Broder's longships, and in the confusion him and his men slipped out in their twenty longships, and they went to Dublin, and they went to King Brian Baru, and they received baptism from him, and converted to Christianity, and they offered the king their swords. They would fight for him in the battle that was coming. They told him about Broder. They knew that there was something near, that, that King Sigtrig Selkbeer was raising an army to fight him, and that they intended to arrive in Dublin on Palm Sunday. Now, back in Orkney, preparations were being made for the battle that was coming. Among the men that Sigurd had there, was an Icelander called Thorstein Siduhalsen. He was a poet, a great poet, and actually a man who would warrant having his own saga in Iceland as well. Now, there was an old man there as well. He was a nice old guy called Harak. He was a loyal warrior to the Earl. He had fought with him since the Earl was just a lad. And he was out sharpening his sword and sharpening his spear, ready for the battle to come. And the earl said to him, Harak, what are you doing, old man? What are you up to, Greybeard? I'm getting ready for the battle, he said. Oh, Harak, you're too old to come to battle with me now. I am never too old to fight for my lord, he said. Well... I think on this occasion it would be best if you would stay back here. Well, the old man was crushed. He was hurt. He wanted to fall in battle alongside his earl, the Jarl, as they called them in the Viking Age. And Sigurd could see that he was upset. And he said, I'll tell you what I will do, Sigurd. Harden. I'll tell you what I will do, Harak. I will make you a vow. You will be the first person in Orkney to hear of the fate of the battle. They prepared their longships and they set sail, and they arrived in Ireland on Palm Sunday, and they began to prepare for the battle. Broder and his thirty longships of warriors were already there before them. 
And they got together and they started to work out strategies and what they should do. Now, the thing is, Broder was well steeped in the black arts. Black magic was his forte. And he was able sometimes to prophesize things. And he said that if they fought before Good Friday, all of them would be killed. If they fought on Good Friday itself, which that year, 1014, was on the 23rd of April, if they fought on Good Friday, then King Brian Baru would die, but he, his side would win the day, and they would all be killed. So, his advice was fight after Good Friday. But they were in such a hurry, they wouldn't. They decided to draw up their armies, and also Brian Baru's men were drawing up as well for a battle on Good Friday. Now, with it being such a holy day, King Brian Baru, who was a devout Christian, would not fight on such a holy day as that. And so he stayed behind his shield wall at the back of the army, well out of way of the fighting, and he prayed there all day. Now, the two sides joined in battle, and they fought hard. It was a vicious fight. Sigurd laid the men vanguard. He was in the centre of the army, leading it. On one side was King Sigtrig Silkbeard, and on the other flank was Broder and his men. And they charged and fought hard. Now Broder, using his magic skills, cut his way through the Irish army until he got near the shield wall behind which King Brian Baru was being protected where he was praying. Now, wearing his magic cloak that made him impervious to weapons meant that he hadn't been wounded, but he got up against a huge warrior called Ulf, Wolf, and he was a brother of Brian Baru. Now, he couldn't stick him with his sword or his spear, but he was able to knock him down. He smashed him down three times. Broder went sprawling on the ground, landing on his back. This was a huge, powerful warrior, and Broder's heart failed him. He was a great bully and a bit of a psychopath, but still he knew that he'd met his match with this huge, strong warrior, and he fled into the woods and hid with some of his men. Now, the battle went this way and that, but it ended up that Sigurd's side looked like it was coming off the worst. A standard bearer had been killed, and Sigurd had ordered another man to pick it up in his place. The second standard bearer was killed, and he ordered a man called Raffin the Red, Raven the Red. He said, Pick up my standard. 
Now there was an old man called Amundi the White who was there, and he said, Don't touch it. That is cursed, and costs the life of the man who holds it. And Raffin the Red said, Errol, bear your own devil. And he refused to pick it up. Well, said Sigurd, it looks like the beggar and his bag must stay together. So he unpicked the banner from the pole it was attached to, and he rolled it up and he hid it under his cloak. Well, soon after that he was run through with a spear and killed, and after that it was a rout. The Viking army that he had led, and that Broder and Sigtrig Silkbeard had led, were defeated. And at the end of the battle, King Brian Brew's men were going around and they were picking off the survivors that were left. Thorstein Sidohalsen, the poet, was there. And a foster son of King Brian rode up and he saw the Icelanders standing there just as unconcerned as if he was at the fair and he was tying his shoelace, just casual-like. And the king's stepson said, why aren't you fleeing? And he said, Well, there's no point. I can't get home tonight. I live in Iceland. Well, he laughed at that, this foster son of King Brian. He laughed at that and said, Well said, and he spared him his life. In fact, he took him back to his hall and feasted him. He had spoken well. He had shown courage and he was shown respect as a result. Now, the battle was won, and King Brian had won the day. He was still at prayer in among the woods, but Broder and his men were still hiding in the woods. They hadn't been found, and he saw that many of the king's bodyguard had slipped away to pick off the survivors, and also, I suppose, to loot the battlefield as well, to loot the dead. So, there was the king, lightly guarded, praying on his knees, and Broder and his men charged out of the woods, and Broder swung his sword and cut off King Brian's head with one slice. Now, King Brian's men rushed back, including his foster son and Ulf, his brother, and he ordered that Broder should be taken alive. Broder's men were all killed to the man, but they pressed against Broder, using branches of trees, until they pinned him down so that his arms were down by his side. He couldn't fight, and they took him forward unarmed, and Ulf, the king's brother, decided his fate, and, oh, it was a cruel fate. He slit open Broder's belly, and he drew out his intestines, and he fastened them to an oak tree, and then Broder was led around and around and around the oak tree until all his guts were unraveled and knotted around the tree. 
and it was only when the last of his intestines were pulled out that Broder died. Now it was said that King Brian was so holy that when they carried his head to him and they put it back on his neck, it reattached itself and he became whole again and was buried with great ceremony after that. Now strange things were seen to happen after that and during the battle. There was a man in Caithness called Dorod and Dorod saw twelve people riding towards a small hut out in a moor. He saw that these were women who were riding there, and this hut was used by women for weaving cloth in. They would all work there together, working the wool, spinning and weaving cloth. And he went to have a closer look, and he peeped in through the window, and what he saw made his blood run cold. The twelve women that were there, they were beautiful women, but they were awful to behold, because they were the Valkyries, the handmaidens of Odin, the choosers of the slain in battle. And they were singing a song as they wove. And what they were weaving was no ordinary cloth. And what they wove it on was no ordinary loom either. The loom was made of two spears driven into the ground for uprights. And the women were weaving human guts weaving a gory web of war. They used an arrow as a shuttle, and a sword as a weaving button. And as they wove this, the, the wharf was held in place, weighted down with human heads. Human heads were loom weights. And as they wove, they sang a terrible song, a song of battle, and they directed the course of the battle. In their song, in their weaving, they decided the fate of the warriors who were taking part. Who would live, who would die, who would win, who would lose, and who would be chosen to go and sit at the halls of Valhalla and wait the day of Ragnarok when they would be put to battle again. When they had finished, they all tore a piece of the, this terrible cloth. They tore it to pieces, so they all had a piece each. They left the hut and they rode away, all in different directions. Dormod went back and he remembered the song and he sang it. And you know, people in North Ronaldsey could still recite that song in the late 1700s. Now, back in Orkney, they didn't know what had happened in the battle, of course. But the old man, Harak, he could see in the distance men riding on horseback towards him. Who could it be? It was too early, surely, for the return of the army. He looked and saw that there indeed was his lord, 
Sigurd the Stout, Sigurd Digri, Jarl of Orkney, was riding towards him with his army behind him. Harak took a horse, and he rode out to meet Sigurd. And people saw them meet. The horses stopped. They could see the two of them talking. They talked together for a short time, and then they turned their horses, and Harak rode alongside the earl, and they rode behind the hill, and were never seen in Orkney again. It was a ghost army that had returned, and Harak had been informed that Sigurd the Powerful had kept his word.